Welcome to Through the Bible podcast with Dr. Buddy Wallace. Today, I would like to discuss with you a little bit about the church, the church. I will be in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, Acts chapter 7, verse 38. Let's consider the word church from the Old Testament. You won't find the word church in it, but you will find the word assembly. It is the same word. It is translated both in the New Testament, assembly, and church. The word assembly refers to Israel, as in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 13. It has to do with the calling together of the assembly, or has to do with the assembly of those that are called. Assembly of themselves together, and the same is true in the New Testament, and in that sense, Israel is called a church in Acts chapter 7, verse 38, because Israel was a called-out assembly from among the nations. They were both called out from among them and separate, so Acts called them a church. He calls them the church in the wilderness in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. But the only similarity between national Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament is that both are called out assemblies. That's the only similarity between the nation of Israel and us at all. God called us from among the Gentiles. Now, I look at the modern-day church as a whole, and what I see is unbelievable apostasy. Apostasy means a turning away. According to Webster Dictionary, that means a renunciation of a religious faith or an abandonment of a previous loyalty. That is what causes that. Different doctrines are mixed. Different beliefs beliefs or different beliefs are mixed different dispensations are mixed i call it the blender church a dispensation is nothing but a time period that god uses for a specific purpose let me give you an example when you go to the doctor for a major headache he gives you a prescription to pick up at the pharmacy for the headache later you go to the doctor for severe arthritis and he gives you another prescription for that now when you get home you don't say, well, I believe I'll just mix these two bottles together that the doctor has dispensed to me and I'll be okay. It does not work that way. That is not healthy for you. Neither is mixing dispensation from the Word of God. It is not healthy for you. We have to keep everything in context and rightly divide the Word of Truth. I see the make-me-feel-good churches, the Joel Osteen Church, the Praise and Worship Centers, with the rock bands, the Baptist churches with their New King James Bible, promoting false doctrine. Oh, buddy, some of those preachers sound so wonderful. They sure do, while sending people straight to hell. I see the water gospel crowd that believe you have to be baptized to be saved. I see the lose your salvation crowd, and we could just go on and on. Folks, we have to be aware of these falsehoods. That is what I wrote my master thesis on about the false doctrines and beliefs. We are living in a watered-down religious society where right is wrong and wrong is right. They make an appearance once in a while in church and think they've done God a favor. Oh, buddy, you need to quit judging people. Did you know that according to the Bible, there is nothing wrong with righteous judgment? The Bible actually promotes that. John seven twenty four says this, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. When the book of Matthew says, do not judge, 
it says it means to remove the mote out of your own eye first. People take judging out of context. God had an entire nation of judges. We have judges today. We have to make a righteous judgment in everything we do. Do you walk up to a bar and say, I believe I'll just walk in here and get me a bud number? No, you make a judgment call first. Should I be doing this or should I walk on up the street and try to find some lemonade? It's no different in spiritual things. It is vitally important for the church to be able to discern between good and evil, the right doctrine, the right belief, the right dispensation. It is very important to your spiritual health. Apostasy is everywhere. What the world calls good, God calls unholy. If we truly understood the holiness of God, we would lead different lives. First of all, if we truly understood the holiness of God, the church pews would be full of people every Sunday and Wednesday. Now, I'm not preaching to the choir. This is for all of us, including me. We could all stand improvement. I had a fellow get mad at me one time because I suggested that everyone get to church on time. That offended him. I was meddling then. The Lord is always on time. Can we not be on time? How much do we love God? Do we love God part-time? Because part-time we show up. Oh, buddy, you need to quit meddling with my comfort zone. In the New Testament church, we get the real meaning of the word church. What's it all about? We're going to look at some references on that. The church is a New Testament institution. It begins with Pentecost, and it'll end with the rapture. The last person saved just before the trumpet sounds will close out the body of Christ, close out the bride of Christ. The church will be complete. God knows how many cells are in his body. He knows how many will be there before it is over. I am referring to individuals. Why don't we speed up the rapture by getting out there and doing some soul winning? I mean, get them all in and he can blow the trumpet. He's not waiting on that, but he knows how many are going to be in the rapture. And if we would get busy, who knows? It might blow a little earlier and we could get out of this mess. I said the church began in Pentecost. Some people think the church began with Paul, but it says in three places where Paul persecuted the church before he got saved. How do you persecute something when it begins with you? It was already there. Some people think it began with the Gospels. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says this. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, in other words, the name Peter signifies a rock. Now, this is the first mention of the New Testament church, but if you'll notice, it is in future tense. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the rock he's, go the rock he's going to build it on, him on is himself. He's going to be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead before he can build it. And so that is future. A church did not begin in Matthew 16. Some people think it started in Matthew 10 when Jesus commissioned the apostles to go out. But no, they are not a church. There is no church. There is no body of Christ yet. It is still future. Some people think that it started at the crucifixion or maybe at the resurrection when Jesus came out of the ground. They base this idea off of John chapter 20. Remember when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples after the resurrection in John 20, 22? Remember that? And when he had said this, 
He breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Many say, All right, there is where the church started, on the day of resurrection. Remember the night before he was crucified? He's telling the disciples this in John chapter 16, verse 7. John 16, 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Let's go back to chapter 7 and you will see when he is going to send him unto them. John chapter 7, verse 39. John seven thirty-nine. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He couldn't send them the Holy Spirit to form the church, the body of Christ, until after his glorification, after God exalted him above all principalities and power and set him at the right hand. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verses 4 and 5, also verse 8. Acts 1, 4 and 5, 4 through 5, and 8. We're going to see what happened next. I have no doubt when he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, that they did right then. He told them they too, but we're talking about the formation of the body of Christ. And being assembled together with them, in other words, Jesus was just before his ascension to heaven, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. What he gave them in John 20 wasn't the promise that he promised back in John 16, when he said, If I go away, I'll send you the Comforter of the Father, which saith, He, ye have heard of me. John 14, 15, and 16, he gave them the promise of the Father, the coming of the Holy Spirit that would be with them and in them and guide them in all truth. I want to share Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Acts 1, 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. As it turned out, it was ten days later. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now this is not the same thing as John chapter 20, verse 22. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. When did the disciples become his witnesses after the resurrection of Christ? It was on the day of Pentecost. Nobody said a word about Jesus until then. Even though he breathed on them back in John 20, the day he was resurrected. And this is 40 days later, he's telling this. After another 10 days, they become those witnesses on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that means when the real Pentecost showed up, all others through the centuries had been a picture. But they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, if you ever decide to speak in tongues, which we know does not happen, you got to have all these things going on like the rushing of a mighty wind that filled the house. Verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. You got to have something on top of your head that looks like a flame of fire. 
And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, other tongues means other languages. As you read through this passage, the reason they spoke with those tongues was human languages was to get on the streets that day and do some street preaching. The first time they witnessed on the risen Savior, 3,000 people were saved that day. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Or as the body is one, in other words, your human body is one unit, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. He has one body. He has many members. Verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. He said that in Acts chapter 1. He said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, baptized into the body. Whether ye be Jews or Gentiles, whether ye be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. So when the Holy Spirit came, he baptized those 120 believers in the upper room, and that formed the body of Christ. And it began to grow from that day on. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and also 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, 15 and 16. There is one body, that's Christ's body, and one spirit, the Holy Spirit, even as we are called in one hope of your calling, the hope of the resurrection. One Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, Christianity, one baptism, the baptism of the Spirit, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And, verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up and to him all things, which is head, even Christ, from whom the whole body is fitly joined together. One body, which laid it, is formation on the day of Pentecost. The word that's translated as church is found 115 times in Scripture in the New Testament. It is E-K-L-E-S-S-E-A, Ecclesia, and is used three times in a secular sense. You'll find it in Acts 19, where Paul is at Ephesus, where there was an uproar with the silversmiths. Acts 19.39, Acts 19.39 through 41, tells us that a riot took place. Three times they called this group of angry men an assembly. It's the same word. That was a town council in this case. They were called together over Paul and his preaching. Called together is a basic definition of the word. One time it is used concerning Israel. I gave you that when I mentioned Acts chapter 7, verse 38. About 16 times, Ecclesia refers to the body of Christ as a whole. That is the word church, referring to all believers, living or dead, everywhere composed the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, All that are in every place call upon the name of Jesus. They're part of the body of Christ. Ninety-five of those times, roughly 93%, the word church in the New Testament refers to a local church in a town, upon the church of Ephesus, and to the church of Laodicea, and to the church of Thyatira. Each of these are a local body of believers. 
So even though the word means all believers everywhere, it also narrows down to this in the church. It is a given church. You find all the gifts of the Spirit. Now let me clarify. All that are operative today, and I'm not talking about the charismatic stuff, that's all of the picture altogether. You find all these gifts in a local church. All gifts might not be fully utilized in all churches, but we are to use our gift to edify the church or build it up. Although the gifts are in the local church, they're not all necessarily operative. It depends on you and me whether our gift is operative or not. God is not going to make us edify the body, but if we will do it, then the local church has everything it needs. At first, there was only one church. You've heard people talk about the invisible church or the universal church. The universal church is not something you join. That's something you become part of when you got saved in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not talking about universalism. That's different. The first church is met at the home for the first three or four centuries. There was no such thing as church building during the early years of the church age. Christians met in homes, and you find it throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about the church in the house of Philemon. The church at Corinth met in the house of Priscilla and Aquila, and so forth. Now, I want to ask you one question before I close up here. Are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven, that you'll spend eternity in heaven? You know, the Bible wants you to know that you're sure. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. And the only way we can gain that eternal life is to first recognize that we are a sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all got to go to heaven the same way. We got to recognize that we are a sinner. Then we have to repent of that sin. That means give it up, go a different direction. You know, you can repent a thousand times. Won't do you one bit of good until you actually forsake that sin or give it up, go in a new direction. And then, Believe in the finished work of the cross, that the Son of God came to this earth in the flesh, that he died for our sins, he was crucified on the cross, then he was placed in a grave, and three days later rose from, rose from the grave, and is right now sitting at the right hand of our Father, interceding for you and I. That is the only way you'll gain eternal life is believe in the finished work of the cross. Repent and believe. I hope you enjoyed this, and we'll catch you down the road. Dr. Buddy Wall, signing off.